0: Josh, good morning. How are good you, sir? Good morning. We are the Sleepists. This is episode number three with Stacy Berman. She was named by Forbes Magazine a New York City fitness icon. She holds a PhD in natural medicine. Wealth of knowledge when it comes to everything about the body. Back in 1999, she started one of the first, the first New York City outdoor boot camp, and she is really a legend in New York. And it was such an honor such a pleasure sitting down with her
1: yeah this was a super interesting episode to me i think uh one of my key takeaways here was was just how interconnected everything is uh when you're when you're talking about wellness and and you know our podcast is about sleep because it sleep is really a core element of, of being healthy uh i think one of the things that we really dug into here was how every part of every aspect of your life connects to your health and and one impacts the other. So nutrition, sleep, fitness, all of these different things are connected to each other. So, you know, if you don't sleep well, exercising and eating well are not going to do everything for you. If you don't exercise or you don't eat well, you may not you're you may not sleep well. So, so all of this stuff is interconnected. And I think uh, the areas that sh- she's taken it and her unique background really brings an interesting take to how to, to, how to live a healthy uh, life from a very holistic perspective. Yeah, her energy was incredible in this
0: episode and i think we also needed a break from the intense sleep exclusive science episodes i think we've had some incredible guests in the first two and then stacy allowed us to back up a little bit and look at the body as one continuum and you can't just focus on one thing you have to look at the body as a whole system and any system that has any broken parts will not function completely so that's where we came from this is episode number three
2: my dad is a black belt in Taekwondo third degree. So ever since I can remember, I was at the Dojang with him. Like I think before I could walk, I was like on the mats as they practice. So I, I never remember not being fascinated with the body and its ability. It just felt like ingrained in me from a you very young age. Thing. Yeah. And so I remember when I was in college, my first year trying to figure out what do I major in and all that stuff. My boyfriend at the time was said, why don't you become a trainer? And I was like, wait, one can do this? I didn't know a person could do that. So I was like, all right, I went back, I went, got some certifications for training. And at the time I was in school and um, I wound up getting a double major in psychology and health education. Again, not really knowing that I would make this a lifelong career, it was just, I was looking for what interested me. Um, So, Got my certifications, started working at a health club in New York City. Quickly kind of went up the ranks from floor trainer to pro trainer to master trainer. I was observing the kind of trajectory of most people who came to the gym, which is come to the gym during January's health resolutions, New Year's resolutions, or like May bikini season starting Mm -hmm. soon. and then drop off after a few weeks or a month or two or you would see people coming all the time but not really see any changes in their body and then coming from the background that I came from with my dad um, I thought well there's a way better way to do this than what i'm seeing here at the gym Mm -hmm. and and again remember this was back in like 19 like late 1990s so i think now it's a little different Um, so in any case i was like i'm going to take some of my clients and go out into central park Um, so i did so i took like you know three four of my clients 5 30 in the morning Mm -hmm. out in central park and we started training like that and we use our body as the machine and the resistance and we use the park as you know the gym and these were clients that you already had these were clients i already had yeah and so you know there's actually a huge population of people who exercise in the park but they're typically just runners mm-hmm. um and then there's another population in the park that are dog walkers <laughs> at five thirty in the morning this is the kind of the range of people <laughs> you get how did you come
1: up with the training programs to modify for outdoors
2: so that again that was kind of just innate I think Mm -hmm. being that I came from you know seeing how the body and how it moved and the body just doesn't do this or that you know the body moves in all different directions and that was you know that was ingrained in me from before I could walk so um it just felt kind of natural to to develop the the programs and you know they're basic like squats push-ups pull-ups core and these are you know Four basic exercises that can be modified a million different ways. So, you know, it's not it's not
1: brain science. It's just like all
2: right, push up. How do we make it more difficult? You know, depending on your level. So anyway, I took everybody out to the park. a Few people, and then people started um, walking by and noticing uh, us doing crawls on the floor. And like, what are these people doing? Why are they piggybacking each other? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so you know with Word of mouth, um more people started coming that were not my pre-existing clients. They just saw us or they heard about us and boot camp grew really, really organically. Um in that way I was at the time um the only outdoor boot camp class at all in New York City. So it was kind of like best to market, first to market. So mm-hmm. you know, much not- now they're all over. Now they're everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So That was a lot of fun. Um, And I think also beyond just the exercise component, and the um, I like body weight movements, and I think those are probably uh, across the board some of the best exercises that people can do. But outside of that, I think getting New Yorkers outside of the office or the apartment or the bar and kind of connecting with nature, which is, of course, we are all part of nature. So getting people into the park and to experience that gave them a, a, a sense of you know what the right word is strength beyond just the physical component it gave them a sense of connectivity with the natural world if that makes sense so and then you know people were like i really want to try class but not at five thirty in the morning <laughs> so then uh, i did a seven a.m class and then people wanted evening classes so i did two different evening classes and then people were like but i live in brooklyn can you do one in brooklyn so we started one in prospect park so it kind of again grew very organically as demand grew so so that's where the trajectory of like childhood stuff into fitness Mm -hmm. um happened and then i think What wound up happening is I think in in my young internalization of what it means to be healthy, I was like, exercise you're healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I realized, oh, you also have to eat right. So I went uh, back to get certified in to become a nutrition specialist and started kind of researching food and um, nutrients and minerals and how that affects your physiology and the way you, you know, not only physically function, but your uh, mindset and psychological state that wound up actually leading me to develop the system what i realized especially for a lot of my clients who are super busy new yorkers they you know work a shit ton of hours don't have time to go shopping and prepare and cook and clean and they just want something that tastes good high quality and gets them the results they want also at the time I'm 42 now, I was 36 at the time, I started gaining weight and I was already doing everything healthy. Like I already exercised, I didn't eat right, like very clean, I meditated, I drank water, I didn't drink alcohol. I mean, across the board, if you looked at what I did, I did everything right. But I started gaining weight and I was like, "What? what the actual fuck? So, I started working um, alongside a nutritionist to develop the system, um, which is again, mm-hmm. what I said, the, my line of organically protein powders. And it was initially designed as a weight loss program. So, um, it was two shakes a day, plus a very big meal, and then two snacks. And within two to three months, I lost 16 pounds and kept it off. And I was like, all right, if this is working for me, um, I think it's going to work for my clients as well. So I started literally at 5.30 in the morning. Here, try this. It's a 5.30. <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: well, it's funny. I ziploc bags with powder. Yeah. Here, try this. Let okay. me you know what you think. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, again, the, the system kind of happened somewhat organically. I didn't go in thinking, I'm going to develop this brand. Right. I thought, well, it's working for me. Let me try it with my clients who, like I said, don't have time to Right. prepare, but still want to look and feel good.
1: Is the premise behind it mainly caloric restriction? or is No, certain... not at all. Okay.
2: Uh, weight loss is all about eating right, not eating less. So if you provide your body with all the nutrients it needs, it functions optimally. Right. So you don't have to restrict how many calories you're having. You just have to eat the right thing. And I mean, you're, you're, when your cells are satisfied, then you're not going to be hungry right. basically so the whole program is designed with that in mind
1: um and how do you sort through so there's yeah. so so much different claims or research right. on on nutrition nowadays yeah. how do you sort through and figure out what is yeah. sort of real science or actually works versus
2: yeah what's... so that's that's a really good question and i think you know outside of my own uh research i want in the midst of all this I also went back to school for my doctorate in natural medicine so like that, that
3: little thing <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: add that in. so like I've done a shit ton of research on this stuff but also I've had literally tens of thousands of like hands-on experience right. working with people to figure out what works what doesn't work and then tailor the programs mm-hmm. as we go along so um, I think you know hands-on experience you know you can have all the science in the world which i absolutely do but if it's not working in real life then who gives a fuck, right, right? so i have both the science and the hands-on experience um, to say this absolutely works
1: and how much variation is there between can there be between different people in terms of um, what they need
2: a lot a lot of variation. yeah so again the system is also designed with this in mind so typically when people sign up for the program i give them a baseline of this is this is the baseline of what it should look like but remember everybody is unique so within like two to three days i check back in and say okay how's your hunger how's your mental clarity do you feel tired what points of the day are you tired and from there it allows me to modify the program to suit their specific needs
3: Mm -hmm. Just you're yeah. tweaking how do you um going back to Josh's question, how do you decide like what ingredients go into the system? What are you looking for when you're putting together that formulation
2: yeah so i put in the idea is so it's a protein powder, it's a whey protein powder organic whey protein powder every function of the body is based off of protein synthesis so the break down the protein into amino acids and that goes to you know muscle repair cell reproduction endocrine development that every function of the body is based off of that to some degree Um, so i wanted it to the base to be a high the highest quality whey protein powder and the reason i picked whey is because molecularly whey is the closest to human protein so your body recognizing recognizes it and is able to utilize it so it's much more bioavailable than other powders Um, so I wanted that, I wanted nutrients that would allow the body to transport, absorb and use it. So that's basically how I figured out what nutrients and what, um, ingredients to use in it.
1: So you figured out nutrition and you figured out the fitness part. Are there other elements that are critical to... Yes. Good question.
2: (laughs) so that's actually why i went back to school for um, my doctorate in national medicine (laughs) so i think you know i think when i was younger uh i had the professional trajectory of quote-unquote health and that was very much in the physical realm so exercise and nutrition Um, but on the other end of it i uh, personal kind of trajectory i did a lot of spiritual work. I, um, stu- I studied with a um, Siddha master of the Tamil tradition in India. Um, so we studied consciousness studies and how meditation affects your nervous system and biochemistry and all that stuff, mm-hmm. as well as um, sounds, how the, that vibration affects your organs and all that stuff. Um, so I worked with him for about 20 years. And I also apprenticed to a Native American shaman of the Hopi tradition for eight years. So we did a lot of uh, medicine journeys and deep psychological exploration as, as well as spiritual exploration. And so I had a number of very profound spiritual experiences, you know, whatever, whatever word you wanna fill there for spiritual, but for me it was a spiritual experience and actually real. Not just, oh, my God, I feel connected to the universe. Although there were those moments, but like actual physical effects from these spiritual yeah. experiences. And I'll give you one, one um, example. So I told you guys earlier I got hit by a taxi on my bike. And um, so it hit me on the side. I, you know, hit the hood, hit the floor. My bike was total. I was completely fucked. Um, and of course because in my head i was like superwoman i was like it's fine i got Seven. up it was also like 5 30 in the morning <laughs> I got <up>. Good. <laughs> and i was like i'm gonna go into the gym that i just left and like sit down for a little while i don't need to go to the doctor wrong
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so turns out i was fucked. i wasn't fine but i didn't notice that because it wasn't so painful that right. i needed like emergency care right away What wound up actually happening was my spine completely went out of alignment. So it was like, Um, but again, because invincible, I never went to the doctor until probably about five, six, seven years later, I was suffering from really, really, really bad lower back spasms, like to the point where in the middle of the night, I would wake up, I couldn't touch my toes, it was not good, you know, being someone who taught exercise for a living, it wasn't great. Um, so anyway, I went to the chiropractor. He you know, did an x-ray, we saw my spine was out of alignment. I went to see him three times a week for six months, straightened my uh, spine out, but still suffered from a lot of lower back spasms and pain. Um, so, Then that continued, and I couldn't figure out what to do. I did acupuncture, I did PT, I did my own work. I did everything to try to relieve the pain. Structurally, nothing was wrong with me anymore. Anyway, yes, long story short, um, during one of my um, uh, medicine journeys, I had this conversation with the universe. (laughs) or whoever, maybe it was the voice in my head, nobody knows, but whatever it was, it was there and I was having a conversation with it and um, we were going back and forth and as soon as I got what the universe was telling me at a fundamental level, as soon as I like said, oh, that's what you mean, it felt like an electric shock went through my body, And the lower back pain stopped and I never experienced anything after that. No, no lower back pain after that. And it's probably been like eight years now with no lower back pain. So again, what I mean by like profound experiences like that, I think that was a profound experience for me because for a number of years I had horrible lower back pain and this one kind of experience relieved it in a way that no other type of therapy did yeah. mm-hmm. so that kind of led me to doctorate in natural medicine because i was like what the fuck is actually going on like how did that happen how did me saying, okay i got it universe i mean my so now my understanding now is that most physical pain and even most disease is based off of Um, emotional trauma that has not been Mm -hmm. dealt with. Perceived trauma or actual Mm -hmm. trauma that has not been dealt with. And that's
1: what I... You hold it in your muscles. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I went back to school for. My field of study is called psychoneuroimmunology. Psycho, how our thoughts, Mm -hmm. affect our nervous system, affect our immune system and metabolism and all that stuff. Um, So it was the integration then of physical health as well as psychological and emotional health and now that's kind of my holistic approach to it is that like these things that are non-tangible like your you know thoughts and feelings um do have absolutely do have real and measurable effects on your is this a
1: relatively new field in medicine, or is it been? Yeah,
2: on? I mean, I think there's always there have been practitioners. I would say probably in the last hundred years, but it's just now that the scientific community is actually looking at this, right. and um, so it's it is a relatively new field of study. Um, but there's there are some great, is great information out there that your mind will just be blown when you read it. Are there resources where we can oh, look that up? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, uh, pro- so three of my professors who I love and my just have blown my mind, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Dr. Bruce Lipton. So Joe Dispenza, I forget what kind of doctor he is. Bruce Lipton was a cell biologist and um, Amit Goswami was a quantum physicist Hmm. so amazing yes (laughs) yes one of the studies that um, Dr. Bruce Lipton did as a cell biologist was he took one cell and he allowed that cell to multiply Um, and then what he did was he took the uh, multiplied cells and put them in three different petri dishes and um, in the Petri dishes put different types of um, fluid. And what he found was that each conglomeration of tissue became different types of human tissue. So one became blood, one became muscle tissue, one became bone. And the whole, what was mind blowing about that is it all came from one, ge- one cell, which means it all has the exact identical genes. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the gene that determined the outcome of what it became. It was the environment of the gene. that Right, exactly.
1: I, I, this, I don't know if this is the same phenomenon, but I was listening to a podcast recently. I think it was Radiolab, and they were talking about sex genes and how there's always these X and Y chromosomes, no matter whether you're male or female. And there's something that tells the genes To either produce more X or to so it could happen. I forget exactly what they said, but at a young age or even while maybe while the the baby is a fetus, there's something there's something that triggers to 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 decide, and it's not just genetic. So there's something that could actually turn the genes in the other way.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: It's which is kind of crazy because changes everything that you think you know about science.
2: Yeah. I mean, the way that I look at it is kind of like the genes are kind of the, the blueprint, Mm -hmm. but each gene can translate itself and up to it in something like 20,000 different ways, depending on the, uh, environment Mm -hmm. that it's in. So that's exactly right. Just. If, if you're stressed, it's going to trigger your genes in this way. If you're totally living in gratitude, it's going to it's going to uh, trigger it in another way. So the gene is the blueprint, and the environment is what kind of does the interior decorating, let's say. <laughs> you know? So like same bones, <laughs> and but it look how
1: totally different. You are? Like are your genes are always that flexible?
2: Um, they get less flexible only because we don't practice it so just like your body right? right your body is relatively uh flexible and you know you have a certain amount of endurance when you're a kid and then you kind of slow down if you don't do anything right. about it so it's kind of like that but the potential is always there it's just um harder to get it going right. if you hadn't been doing it before does that make
1: sense no it makes yeah. cool. it's good so you're in an exercise like i'm I haven't been, since I've had my son, I haven't exercised a lot and I'm definitely less flexible and I feel joint pain and all of that, but I know that if I spent the time and did the work in the gym, I could maybe not get back to where I was 25, but I could still get that. Yeah, exactly. So insane.
3: theoretically, yeah. if, I, if I play my cards right, I can one day grow dragon wings. Exactly. And- <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. In theory. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. right. So, so we'll, we'll work on that. That'll be my fitness plan. <laughs> <I matter. laughs> the
1: quantum physicist. Yeah. Like That's So where does he <laughs> come in? And I, I I have a theory on where that comes in, but he- Yeah. And also, is quantum physics just magic?
2: <laughs> well, see, I always yeah. call it magic because it does actually appear to be magic. But yes. when you get down to the subatomic particle level, the subatomic particles do not act um, in any way as we know of matter acting. Um, so, like there's, for example, non-local communication. Have you ever heard of this? This is
1: this is yes. right to yes. Yes. get your yes. mind yes. right?
2: exactly. So it's the ability of these subatomic particles to. Um, what appears to be instantaneously communicate without any signals. So you'll see this, how. so kind of how this relates to um, natural medicine and actual human form. You'll see people, and there have been studies on this, that have um, meditated together for an extended period of time. And in this study they were separated and they were put in rooms that their, Electromagnetic field is cut off, like any way that they could possibly be communicating was cut off in some way, right? And they, to one of the meditators, they had them sit in a room and they showed them different lights, or I forget what the stimuli was, but showed them different lights and had measured their brain waves and, you know, saw what parts of the brain were being lit up. Uh, and simultaneously they measured the other person's brain who was separated by however much distance um, and both the brain waves of each participants were displaying the same exact um, stimulation. So again that's that kind of talks to the idea of non-local communication that once you're in some sort of system, let's say, even when that system is separated by uh, distance, there's still some sort of communication that's going on that is not, the, the signals are not being transmitted in any noticeable, mm-hmm. measurable way. So I think that's kind of a fascinating point to uh, how quantum physics relates to the human organism. Mm-hmm.
1: So I love this. Magic. Well, and then there's the, the idea, my theory was, uh there's the idea that you know something at a quantum physical level things can exist in two different states until you think about it and we're observing and then that state changes so could that same phenomenon happen in terms of how your thoughts impact your physical well-being
2: yeah so that's actually what i think happened with my back so i mean i'll give you guys the details of it so I think I mentioned my childhood was fucked up, <laughs> so as a result, I think one of the internalized subconscious imprints that happened on me was I'm not going to be mother because my mom's listening. My <laughs> representation of mother was not a positive one, right? So I again, this is not a conscious discussion, but I think what I did was subconsciously I was like, I will not be that. Because that's not good. In the um, medicine journey, that medicine journey, actually, almost every single medicine journey I was when I was an apprentice had to do with creation and mother energy, and you know all that stuff. And the last medicine journey that I did not the last one, this particular one that I'm referring to, the conversation that the universe and I were having were, was the universe was saying, you are mother. And I was like, no, I am not. <laughs> and, and the universe was like, yes, you are. And I was like, no, I'm not. And I don't have biological children, nor do I want biological children or children in general. But I realized in that moment that the universe was saying, you are mother, whether or not you have a child, that is your energy. And so once I said, ah, okay, I understand what you're saying. I am mother, whether or not I have children, it released my lower back. And if you think about it, what is your spine? Your spine supports and nourishes you through, um, through nerve signaling. Right. And what your mother supports and nurtures you mm. right so my lower back pain was the manifestation of the rejection of that idea and as soon as i said okay i am mother it went away and back to quantum physics it was like i saw another potential and once i got once i saw that other potential it collapsed right. into reality does that make sense mm-hmm.
1: it does yeah. but it's so hard to,
2: it's so hard, it's hard to, to it is here. You know, it's it's a hard thing. It does seem like magic. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time I wasn't in school at the time for this stuff. I didn't know, but I was like, that just happened to me. Like, and I'm also from New York, so I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm like yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. This is some bullshit right here. Like, what's going on? Um, so I was like, I wanna know what's going on because uh, I couldn't explain it at the time, but I know that it was a real experience that I had, and it was a real experience that I had that had physical results. Um so do, I do you think
1: there was a similar thing going on with when with the placebo effect so just being taking medicine and thinking that it's going to do something or taking a sugar pill like yeah. Yeah, yeah
2: yeah absolutely yeah 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 absolutely i was just having this conversation with someone about um so i'm a reiki master and and i don't i don't practice reiki um and i don't
1: you just need another thing to... yeah
2: yeah you know, why not with all that free time well, what I want, because so I'm all about. I'm not going to discount something, and just because you don't understand, I don't understand right. it. I want to see what it is. I want to learn about it. I want to see. Let me just try. So that's pretty much the approach I take with most things. Um, and so I don't know with Reiki, fizzy a lot. Like I can't say I'm touching you, and now this energy is coming out of my hand. I can't say that for certain. What I can say for certain is that when I have practiced Reiki on myself or someone else, that it seems to allow them to get to a state where their parasympathetic nervous system is taking over, which is the rest and digest response. And that, yeah, and that state is where the healing happens. So again, I don't. I don't know, but to, the, to your point, the placebo effect, if you think it's so, and it has real effects on your overall health, just because science can't prove it doesn't discount that it helped, that it right. did something right. for you. And just because science can't prove it now doesn't mean it won't prove it in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. I mean, that's the whole basis of science, right? We would still think the earth is flat. We wouldn't believe in gravity if you know science is meant to question, question, question.
1: But well, so, it's the universe is so complex. It's right. like we're never going to understand everything. everything. Yeah, so we can probably disprove
2: everything. but <laughs> yeah. we
1: can't to to say with certainty that's something that something. Yeah,
2: yeah. And again, it's like you know, if you've had experiences yeah. that are not really explainable but real experiences then who's to say they're not real they've happened to you they're you know? your reality yeah they're your you're reality right. exactly
3: sure so you're up every every morning at 5.30 or not every morning, morning. <laughs> oh the reason I'm asking that is just to uh, not so subtly segue into sleep yes what is your stance on sleep do you believe in sleep do you <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't I think you do
2: I do that do. <laughs> <laughs> of course there's a I placebo mean, yeah. absolutely <laughs> I mean, I, for, for me, and I think you guys would completely agree, but sleep is the foundation of life. <laughs> like you, you have to sleep. Um, I remember actually, this was even before, I think I was in junior high, and we were doing science experiments, and I wanted to study how lack of sleep affected a person. And of course, nobody really wanted to be my guinea pig, so I wound up <laughs> guinea pigging myself. <laughs> So I just did some basic stuff like, you know, um, uh, writing out specific sentences to see how my handwriting was. Just um, huh. different uh, visual tests, and within like two days, I was almost insane. Like I couldn't. It looked like I was writing. And that's on
3: how many hours of sleep? Zero.
2: Hours oh, you just sleep. did sleep. I just didn't sleep. So anyway, point is. Absolutely, I believe in sleep as one of the f- foundations to a healthy mind and healthy body. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think actually, being in boot camp, and even though I was getting eight hours of sleep a night, that it threw my rhythm off of natural biological rhythm. Right? Because I was waking up at three in the morning or three okay. fifty in the morning. So it was like Jeez. basically <laughs> the middle yeah. of the night and um i think a lot of my systems shut down um because i was just not in line with
0: your biology
2: with my biology or with nature like we are a part of nature <laughs> you know um and i do think that that affected a lot of my uh, not only my emotional state but i think physical state and mental state um so yeah sleep and i i mean i I tell everyone, the, you know, the importance of sleep. I just did a, a workshop yesterday and uh, we were talking about, the workshop was on getting unstuck. And basically getting unstuck means de-stressing yourself. So from physical stress, emotional stress, or environmental stress. And one of the things that came up with sleep, because I think so many people have issues around sleep. Um, so yeah, I think, sleep is important. You have a lot of
3: clients over the years, especially, of some of people. What are the, some of the common sleep issues that you're seeing or mistakes that people are making?
2: I mean, one of the primary things that I think people, mistakes people are making in terms of sleep um, is the screens. I think when they have, well, I think we, we've talked about the book, How do, Why Do We Sleep? Why We Sleep? Why yeah. We Sleep? So did you listen to him on, um... Joe Rogan? Yes. yes. Okay, so I think, uh, So one of the things that he was talking about was the idea that when you have your screen up, that the screen prevents the release of melatonin by up to three hours. So if people are in bed reading a book or just diddling on their phone, they go to bed at you know, 10 they think they're going to sleep around 10, 11, but really their body's not getting into sleep until like one in the morning and then they're waking up at five to come see me. So they're not getting sleep. So screens, I think, are um, a big problem in today's society. I think also not having a routine around sleep. Right, you can't go from work to sleep because you're in conscious mode, and then you're asking your body to go right into you know sleep mode. So I think that transition is not respected. And then obviously, I do you think you know stress has a lot to do with it. Um, not having Healthy ways to deal with and release stress. You get to bed and you're like, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to. Oh my god, what about this? What about that? You know. So it's like, t- turn turning that part of the mind off.
1: Routine is one of the things that has definitely helped me with my sleep. I've never slept well no. in my whole life. Um, I also am diagnosed with ADD, yeah. but I in my recently I've started to think maybe actually has to do with sleep and, mm-hmm. set and not, not any, anything to do with the disorder because I've, ne- I mean, i probably n- never really slept more than five hours straight. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my sleep is interrupted. I, it takes me a while to fall asleep and I think it's, it's a combination of my mind racing at night and trying to fall asleep and then also having sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I've done probably in the last six months to a year is, is try to, have a routine around sleep so I stop using my phone at least an hour before yeah. sleep I you know drink a glass of tea before I go to, sleep. and then I do the same exact thing before I get in mm-hmm. to bed and when I'm in bed or no tv mm-hmm. uh, I might read a book but that's it yeah. and it's definitely helped I think I still have the apnea part portion of it so I'm curious what role so what role nutrition and fitness can help in, yeah, in the reverse with, with that.
2: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, the nutrients that you're putting in your body is, is that's the information your body is using to build itself to function. So, what you're eating is absolutely going to have a, an effect on the quality of sleep you have and the ability mm-hmm. uh, you have to go to sleep easily. Um, and then, exercise I mean, exercise is the Good thing about exercise is, so when you're exercising you high intensity and you do high-intensity exercise, and yoga probably does this to a certain extent too, but I don't like yoga. I just can't. It's too slow, I'm hairy. I should love it, I just can't though. Um, but high-intensity exercise, when you're doing high-intensity exercise, it shuts off the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain executive function, right? So it shuts off the part of the brain that is responsible for the what we call the monkey mind, right? Um, so when you, well, you could almost use exercise as a biohack to sh- turn mm-hmm. that part of the mind
1: off. So is, does it work similar to meditation?
2: Yes, it does. I mean, obviously, it's it's slightly different. You're not it's sitting there, but it that. does. And actually, some sometimes I work with people. We do uh, like twenty to thirty minutes of high intensity exercise followed by a meditation because that's your your brain is actually primed right then um, for meditation also first thing when you wake up because you're not in full consciousness you're kind of in that twilight zone right. so so high intensity exercise kind of gets you into that i mean if you if you guys do high intensity exercise try to you know you'll notice that like in the beginning you, you can pretty much clearly do a, a high level math equation try that like 20 minutes it. in you're <laughs> like i don't i can't who am i what's happening <laughs> <laughs> and that's because that part of the brain yes. is not working <laughs> no, I, when i'm done high
1: intensity usually by like the third round if someone comes to talk to me I'm
2: like, so that's the kind of biohack that that one can use to get into a meditative space start with 20 minutes of high intensity uh exercise.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna try that.
2: The other thing about movement is, I mean obviously just physically it tires you out, so you're more likely to want right. to sleep. But um uh in terms of emotional release and stress, um any emotion or experience that you don't release gets imprinted on your nervous system and often it's imprinted on your nervous system beyond your conscious awareness which and I say that because you can't talk about it if you don't know it's there right so talk only gets to a certain level (laughs) movement allows you to access the stored information that is underneath consciousness awareness and release it in a way that's beneficial
1: to you this is very interesting I it's like it's one of those things that you listen to like that no way but definitely a lot of emotional baggage that's imprinted somewhere that i don't really know the source of like i mean obviously i know the general basis of like what my life was like and what things could cause it but there's there's definitely some underlying things that like i can't put my finger on what's the source of it i don't even necessarily feel it until something triggers it so this happens a lot uh with my wife in in terms of communication like she she thinks i'm holding things in and then i blow up but it doesn't actually work like that like i actually don't feel angry most of the time Mm -hmm. where she where she might think i'm just bottling it up i'm just don't feel that anger but then there's something that triggers it and then there's there's all this new information that I don't know where
2: it came from. Right. And that's exactly right. So the subconscious mind. So the conscious mind, um, which is what we're using right now, that I have a dialogue <laughs> with each other. The conscious mind is in control about 5% of the time. The subconscious mind is in control about 95% of the time. and. The subconscious mind can process up to 20 million bits of information in one second. Conscious mind up to 40 bits in one second. So there's a huge difference, right? So that's to say that the subconscious part of your processing self um, is primarily at play most of the time. So all of the information that you took in as a child right now, you know, throughout your life is somewhere stored in you. Um, the subconscious process doesn't processor doesn't speak in English it speaks Mm -hmm. mostly in feeling and symbols which is during sleep that's all subconscious processing coming up to where it comes out in dreams yeah exactly Um, so part of the work that I do is based off of um, have you ever heard of uh, body armor? Mm -hmm. yes body armor yes okay so it's the idea that Um, When you have different experiences in, mostly during developmental parts of your life from in utero to seven, um, and obviously after two, but those are like, that's a huge time where uh, you're developing as a small human. Um, When you have experiences during that time of your development, if those experiences become uh, or, or are significant enough, they become holding patterns in your nervous system and if those holding patterns become chronic then it affects the musculature of the body and so by looking at someone as an adult or a child typically you can just kind of scan their physical body and understand psychologically what what the things they've had to deal with throughout their lives so to your point all that stuff is still in there and it's absolutely affecting um, your thoughts, feelings, and actions today, but they're beyond your conscious awareness.
1: And so is, does that go back also to the genes, and like how the genes express Absolutely.
2: themselves? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah. looking yeah. at
3: Josh, what has he been dealing with? Well?
2: <laughs> He's uh, <laughs> okay. Do you no. want me
1: to help no. me? If you're,
2: you're good. No. <laughs> just don't make him cry. <laughs> okay. So make him uh, cry. It seems <laughs> like Just from preliminary right here, right now, um, the primary issue that you've had to deal with is personal power and autonomy. And some of the patterns of your life have been based off of this idea of trying to outwardly please people, but inwardly resisting people. Does that sound true?
1: Is that true for everybody? I don't know. It's definitely true.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not true for everyone. That's the primary... Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> I think that's, that would be a reasonable estimation. Yes. yes. What so, was the tell? The him? tell
2: is um, the shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shoulders. So there's a slight... So you'll see there's a slight um, kind of forward motion.
1: But I, so now let's just... Let's say that I was in worse in a better shape or like in a time of my life where I was in better shape. And so my posture was better, it would still
2: exist. Yeah, well I mean it, it can change and obviously there's everyone has a different mix of these type of characters. You don't have just one type, you know, because everyone's experienced a lot of shit. Um, but um, typically when those issues are from the developmental time in your life, that body posture will be somewhat chronic. Um, so you can when you're so training. you make it better, but it's still. You can still see it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like for me, my I'm much better now. <laughs> but my primary, so you, if you would have met me five, ten years ago, it was very rigid. I was very upright. My chest was up. My back was straight. And that's indicative of um, issues with trust. And you receive love through achieving. Um, so it's called the rigid achiever. You're, you're called the endorer because you can endure very
1: well. That is pretty accurate.
2: <laughs> yes. um, that, is, that is a very
1: accurate word for me. Um, what about him? Let's not let that off. I'm the rigid endurer. <laughs> I was going to say,
2: I think you're kind of a rigid achiever. So, really? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. What is the rigid achiever now? Uh, trust issues with relationship and love and um, re- learns to receive through achievement. Although you're kind of endurer as well. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I don't know what am I job? I mean, I can, I can see both pieces of that. Yeah. There's because I mean, we bonded over some similarities and I yeah. think the endure part is, is yeah. definitely there. Um, but there's also a strong contrast between the two of us, which I don't know if I can put my finger exactly on it. Um, because it's, we're still similar in what we're different in, if that makes any sense. So like. The end result uh, is it, there's similar outcomes to it, yeah. even though even though you express it in different ways. Yeah. And I think I'm much more like up here.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so I think I think he's more a little bit more uh, present physically. I uh, don't I don't know if that's the right word, but he I'm having a difficult. I mean, for uh, I, I will
3: I will say yeah. to your point, um, I'm always running away from the idea of, and I just came to this revelation last week, but I'm always running away from this idea of not doing. I always feel like I need to do something and I just think
2: about it. That's the achiever. That's Mm -hmm. the achiever. It's always having to do. And again, it's not a conscious thing, but always having to do in order to receive. Mm -hmm. Like you're not worthy of receiving unless you're doing something for it. Mm
1: -hmm. And I have a bit of a Messiah complex in terms of I have to endure for everyone
2: else. Yeah, so outwardly right. pleasing, inwardly resisting. Right. Yeah, and then that's what happens is when eventually that you endure, 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 and eventually you explode.
3: What are some the other body types that you... So there's seen. one
2: that is the, um, there's one that's the uh, schizoid character, I forgot, the <laughs> other. but you'll notice that because they'll typically be very leafy, very very wavy and um they have this kind of their shoulders are kind of uh, not exactly up because that's another one but like kind of like skepticalness um and they usually have issues with um safety security and stability as their primary psychological things there's the oral one the oral one is very distinct uh where you'll it's a sunken chest and they have issues with feeling and the right to feel Pleasure and feel emotions. Um, then you have the endurer. Then you have the uh, rigid achiever. The rigid achiever comes in two forms. There's my form, which tends to be a little bit more masculine, um, and we bottle everything up. And then there's the hysteric, which you'll see in women. Same basic idea, um, but you'll you'll notice women who have small, regular size waists, but much abnormally larger hips that compared to their uh, upper body. So same issues. The only significant difference is that they will eventually explode also. So the rigid achiever doesn't explode. The uh, hysteric will eventually get to explode. And then you have the um, challenger defender and that you'll notice people that have a lot of weight, their shoulders are abnormally high let's say for them and uh, their typical psychological issues at a fundamental level are um, being able to communicate their own truth but I make the distinction between I think their authentic truth which sounds kind of spiritual and flighty but what I mean by that is we we all have uh, masks on and we think we're speaking what we mean to be speaking from our true selves, but often those are the masks speaking. When I say speaking your authentic truth, I mean like you at a fundamental level, not you as the mask.
3: How do you start even searching for that fundamental level?
2: That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Sleep, no. (laughs) No, actually, you know, it's funny So, I mean, it depends on the, I mean, typically when when I work with people, we start at a basic, very tangible, place. So we work on I have, you know, usually do like an hour and a half to a two hour intake form and I we go through every kind of behavioral thought and emotional pattern. So we start with what does your food look like? you know, uh, organic, not organic, all that stuff. What does your sleep look like? What does your movement look like? What does your stress level look like? What are some of your emotional states throughout the day or not? So we kind of go through all of it. Um, And then we start with, okay, we're gonna first work on physical self. So we incorporate different foods in depending on what they need, different movement things. Um, And then you go from there. Once you release all of the shit that is not you 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 eventually get to or at least get glimpses of who you are Mm -hmm. and you know it's my my goal to yes get people to be themselves without all the masks and all the bullshit um but that sometimes takes a lot of time
1: yeah that's an idea i've always i always kind of struggled with like i believe it on one hand but on the other hand, how, what are you other than your experiences here? Right. So, like, how do you separate this essence of you? Yeah. Is there a lifetime?
2: Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting because I think somebody posed that question to me all, like a few months ago. And I think that your experiences will always inform you. But by getting beyond those experiences, Instead of reacting Mm. to those experiences, you could become the observer of those experiences. And I think that's the whole idea behind meditation. Right, exactly. So it's like instead of you say something to me and I'm filtering it through my, you know, experience as a kid and you said that and that triggered my dad's stuff and blah 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 blah. now fuck you You (laughs) so instead of that you trigger me I recognize that it's having an effect on me, I recognize my nervous system just clicked, my sympathetic nervous system just clicked on, I'm stressed, I feel my heart rate increase, what's going on why did that bother me and then I now take the control into my hands rather than being reactive How do you
3: find this balance in the, the 21st century in New York City, in this crazy modern world, he is moving a thousand miles a minute. And you know ultimately one of my theories is we're just not evolved to live in this environment. And that's why we're seeing the chronic health issues, the chronic sleep issues. How do you coach people out of that
2: yeah. craziness? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. We're not meant, this is not <laughs> normal. This is not normal, this is not natural. One of the things is to make time do the things that get you into balance Um, so for example not connecting all the time for example going to the park for example connecting with your tribe or squad or whatever Um, connecting with your family laughing and playing like all the things that we as humans are meant to be doing and then also learning how to not react you can't control things that are right. in your environment necessarily, but you can control the way you react to them.
1: Right. So like depersonalizing the external
2: from the internal. Right. Exactly.
1: Um do you have any quick like quick tips
3: for people on finding that balance? Like what's something someone listening can do right now?
2: One thing as I sleep, <laughs> I mean some of the basic stuff. Eating right. Eating is going to shift, like I said earlier, the what you put in your body or on your body is going to have a profound impact on the information that you're giving your body to function with. So having a healthy diet is not just about looking a certain way or losing five pounds or fitting into the HD and so that's the actual information that you're giving your body to reproduce itself with. So eating right, getting enough sleep, breathing, breathing. I just did this exercise with people yesterday. We did 10 deep breaths. I was like, we're just going to do 10 deep breaths. I want like, you to put your hand on your belly, inhale, let your stomach expand, exhale to neutral. And I would say 50% of them only inhale to the chest and some on the exhale, let their bellies extend. So they mm-hmm. did the opposite of how you should be. So that's a super simple thing. Train yourself to breathe properly. Right, exactly. And when you're breathing properly, what that does is it, there are receptors um, in the diet, diaphragm that, when you take deep breaths, it triggers your parasympathetic nervous oh, system yeah. to turn on. Right, because in essence, your brain is saying, I can't be stressed right now because those receptors are, are going on. also will better. It does, digestion. Mm-hmm. Just did that this morning. No, sorry. <laughs> so breathing, um, movement. Again, it's not just about movement, it's not just about looking a certain way or fitting into clothes. Like movement has a profound effect on your nervous system and all the information that's stored in your nervous system and it will help to release it in a, a healthy way. So these are just like super simple things, but if you don't put it in a context of it's not just about what you look like. It's about how you function and how you interact with yourself in the world. What's the biggest um, dietary mistake that you see people making? <laughs> the thing that just popped into my head is juice cleansing. <laughs> juice, juice, yeah. The thing is with juice cleansing, your body has natural cleansing organs your body is designed this way your body is designed to detox regularly this is why you shit <laughs> like your body does this juicing well again is really high uh, dense in vitamins and minerals and that's great but your body was not meant to take that much sugar in at one time you're missing the protein you're typically missing the fat you're missing the fiber so all of these um, nutrients. nutrients macronutrients part of how your body digests things so when you're taking all that out your body is not actually reacting the way you think it's going to react i would say juice cleansing is just bullshit Mm. i mean have a juice it's great but have it with something else (laughs) you know your body is meant to do this and then another thing that i think i I think makes a profound difference is eating too much at night Mm. um, before you go to bed and why this makes a difference is your body can't your cells can't do two opposing metabolic functions at the same time. So what I mean by that, if you're eating at night and then going to sleep pretty quickly after that, you're asking it to digest the food and you're asking it to heal and rebuild itself. And it can't do both well. So, I mean, I typically recommend that people don't eat at least six, uh, at least three hours, if not a few more hours before they go to bed so that their body is like somewhat... Completed with digestion, depending on what they're eating, um, and I and that I think has a profound impact on again not only what they look like but the way their body functions and their quality of sleep.
1: Hmm. And what what's your thoughts on intermittent fasting?
2: I love it. Yeah. I, I mean, I regularly practice intermittent fasting. Um, I think that intermittent fasting is much more in line with our um, evolution. Yeah. It's like, we didn't always have access to food. We feasted and then we fasted until we went and hunted or gathered again. So I think it mimics our, um, natural biological function.
1: I read in, um, I think it was the Black Swan, Nassim Talib. Yeah. He wrote, he had a section on, which was surprising, but he had a section on fitness and and eating and something he said was really interesting was that food is actually, you don't, food is not supposed to be eaten as a response to being hungry. Food is actually telling your body information about what about the world or about what's going on right now. Yeah. So if you're not eating, it's getting your body prepared that there's a period where you're not you're not going to have food available. Right. But if you're eating too much, it's thinking you're stocking up. So right. it's it's telling your body to respond in a certain
2: way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I I usually practice intermittent fasting probably uh, four to five times, four to five days a week
1: have you ever done extended fast
2: I've done extended fast but that was more when I'm going into medicine journey um so that was just kind of cleansing of lots of stuff at that point um, so I mean I mean extended what I mean by extended probably like two days all right not like a week or
1: all right glad you know. did a five day water fast I've done two seven day fasts. seven
3: yeah, days. <laughs> yeah I just did a four day like. Two weeks ago. Yeah. So I, I do extended fast yeah. regularly. I just think it's the, your body just needs a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At its core, you just gotta get, let yeah. it reboot and rest. Um, yeah, I like what you said about not eating large meals before bed because there is a theory that other than your brain, your circadian rhythm is also regulated by your liver. Mm-hmm. And if your liver is constantly activated, especially late before bed, that could be affecting your sleep. That's something I read. I don't know how true mm-hmm. that is. Yeah. Um, but so we will. I think we're going to start wrapping, Well, look, yeah, you, you have a book you're writing. Right? Yes, uh, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm going to say. So this is, this is your moment. Tell us a little bit more about what you're working on yeah. and where people can find you and learn more about you. Yeah.
2: So I mean, the first thing which I mentioned earlier is my uh, the system by Stacy, the line of organic whey protein powders. Um, you can check out my web- website. What is the website? Thesystembystacy.com. Oh, very there descriptive. You <laughs> there you go. And your tagline again. Uh love uh, the system by Stacey is a luxury line of organic protein powders designed to help you love yourself from the inside out. <laughs> Thank you.
3: I and mean, I think you just realized I the website, too, right? I did, I did, yeah, know, it's yeah, great. I did.
2: Yeah. Um and then I am um, uh working on a book based off of my dissertation research and the book is called Love Yourself Naked The Science Behind Self-Perception, Spirituality and Weight Loss. So where that idea came out was that, you know, I I said I started the first all-year outdoor boot camp in New York City. I literally worked with thousands of people, a lot of women, and I found that um, no matter what they looked like on the outside, they could have been like, you know, beautiful by society standards um, or two or 300 pounds overweight, and the dialogue, the internal dialogue was always the same. They were always scanning for what was wrong with them instead of what was right. And so when I went back to school and I was trying to figure out what to do my research on, um, I and field of study being how your thoughts affect your physical self, I was like, what if I research that? What if I see if, if changing self-perception has real and measurable effects on metabolism and weight loss? Um, so that's so... That was my dissertation research, and that's basically what the book is about. It's kind of explaining the science behind that, but then also tools and techniques um, that help shift mindset um, to be more positive uh, towards the self. Mm -hmm.
3: So what has your research shown? I'm just curious. Is that metabolic
2: impact. Yeah, exactly. So again, it it kind of goes back to stress response. So the basic idea behind it is that when you... um, when you look at yourself and you dislike what you see, and, and I, let me preface this, I think that 99% of women presently have or have had a body image disorder. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, granted, I know I'm, I'm working with a specific target of the population that is coming to me because they wanna lose weight or whatever, be be healthy, and that was my, my history. But even women that I haven't worked with personally will agree with me on that um it seems like it's actually becoming more common with men as now, well, I now i agree. Yeah. i
1: agree i agree versus thing like 20 years ago. exactly
2: finally. yeah um so so basically when you see yourself and you dislike what you see in the mirror that is triggering the nervous the sympathetic nervous system in uh and again depending on how intense your body image disorder is like i've worked with people who they don't like what they see in the mirror and then i have people who they're like i'm disgusting i hate myself and again this is not based off of anything visually necessarily it's just the internal dialogue so when you look at yourself in essence you're seeing yourself as an enemy mm-hmm. you're seeing your body as the enemy and that's triggering the stress response and then um, the stress response releases all the stress hormones, cortisol, that stuff, and then any function of the body not specifically related to survival of the organism gets shut, shut down or depleted, mm-hmm. right? So digestion, metabolism, cell reproduction, um, hormone production—all that—all that stuff gets diminished. Wow. Through stress, that body, yeah. Yes, yeah, and again, you know, your mind doesn't recognize your mind doesn't filter for content. So it's like whether it's an actual assault, whether it's your mother-in-law, whether it's your boss, whether it's your own self, your bot, your, your sympathetic nervous system is not like, oh, this is not real. It's still reacting as if it was a real threat.
1: And you're looking for those signals.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: I I did an experiment on myself with subway trains. So there, I know there are days where I feel like Every train I just miss, or there are days when I feel like, oh, I make every every train. So I did an experiment where, for a week, I would only notice what take notice to when I when I just missed the train, or I had to wait a long time for the train. And then for a week, I would tr- only pay attention to the times when the train came just when I arrived, and it was in, it was fascinating because it felt like the week that I was paying attention to, the it felt like the train was always coming right on time. The week where I was paying attention to the amount of time I had to wait, it felt like I was always waiting for the train. And it's, it's so interesting how that can play into your idea of good luck and bad luck. And then like what you're saying that comes becomes self-defeating because you're you're continuing on that cycle.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, in a very real way, like you have, you have a thought. So the thought is like a neurological impulse and then your body, is monitoring what your brain is saying, and your body starts releasing biochemicals in line with your, what your brain is saying. And then your brain is picking up the biochemicals and reinforcing the feeling that goes in line with the thought. So when it, really, in a very real way, you become become biochemically attached to that state of thinking and feeling and thinking and feeling and thinking and feeling, and that um, reinforces that neural pathway. And then what that does is it just keeps you looking for that particular thing. Um, So the whole idea is self-perception or the train or whatever is. To um, prune back those neural pathways that are not benefiting you and to create new neural pathways that have, you know, more that are more beneficial to you. But when those neural pathways have been kind of walked on for days or weeks or months or years or your entire life, it becomes a challenge because again, you're you're attached to, you're familiar in this space. And in the familiarity, it becomes very comfortable. And so your body is like, when you try to change that, your body's like, no, no, no. no. I know this space. I want to leave. I know it's not so comfortable, but I know it. So I'm going to stay here. So your body will try to get you to fall back onto the old ways of thinking and feeling, Um, but it's my job to get you out of that shit. Mm. so and remind us the title of the book will be love yourself naked the science behind self-perception spirituality and weight loss and when is it dropping that is dropping in spring of
3: 2019 right right around the corner Well, we'll make sure to put up a link (laughs) are you going to have like an amazon pre-order or are you doing anything like
2: probably (laughs) yeah
3: and the website is the system by stacy.com
2: no way in stacy What's that? No system no, and he Stacey. Stacey. Yes, yes
3: assistantbystacey.com. And uh, Josh, do you have any parting thoughts? No, I'm just, this
1: was a very interesting conversation. Awesome. Thank
3: you so much. <laughs> we will oh. absolutely um, badger you for a part two. Perfect. <laughs> I, love I
2: love
3: it. I I think this was a lot of fun. And that's it. This is The Sleepist. And as always, success is a good night's rest.
0: Thank you for listening to The Sleepist Podcast, our url is sleep.ist. My name is Vlad. My personal blog is vladit.com. If you have any questions, please visit us at The Sleepist website. Drop us a line. Ask your sleep question. And remember, we are not doctors. We don't play them on TV. And anything you hear on this program should first be checked with your personal doctor.